You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it. In the first place, to me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Good morning, everyone. This is Victoria Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I understand I'm having a bad connection, so I'm trying to get a better connection. Um, got a couple of stones. Just bear with us. DeAsia, am I still cutting in and out every other word? No. Okay. I'm coming through clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So everybody tuned in. Just got a little part to this morning. I'm in a different city with a bad connection. So uh, my co-host, Asia Robinson, will hold me down in the event that I'm calling in and out of the show. It doesn't happen. I'm surprised to have a better connection at this moment. But we're going to go ahead and get started with this morning's discussion. As again, I have my special co-host, Asia is black. Thank you, Queen, for coming back on, getting up early with me this morning for an interesting conversation. So if you will, I'm glad to have you. If you will say hello, intellectual outcast. It's been a while since you've been out getting your license so you can handle these disasters that come our way. So look good, good, good luck with, with that. And thank you for you know getting in here with us one more time. But if you will, Queen, say hello to the intellectual outcast and tell them about some of the stuff you got going because they don't hear you too much. So I need to let them know how they can keep up with you before you do so, I guess. Go ahead, Queen. Hello, everyone, and good morning. Thanks for having me again, Montoya. Um, lately, I have been having a lot going on, but most importantly, I still have been doing my podcasts, which is Best of the Asia, and also the Hip Hop School Past and Present Podcast, um, which you guys can find me on there every Monday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. For the Best of the Asia, I just do it randomly. But I'm still doing it. And also, I have been uh, trying to get my foot in the door for the adjusting lifestyle so I can help the people when they're experiencing a disaster. So I've been extremely busy, but I'm glad to be here with you today. Well, glad to have you, Black. Go ahead and introduce a guest who doesn't need really no introduction. My man, who holds me down. Anytime I reach out, he's not 
daily duties uh, on word on the well-known broadcaster here in the Atlanta area. If you will, Shelly, again, for being with us. If you will say hello to, to the Asia as well as the intellectual outcast out there. Listen and let people know your background as well. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Montoya. I appreciate you inviting me uh, <clears throat> on uh, on the air uh, on 95.5 WSB Radio every night, 7 to 10, with my co-host, Melani Kai. And um, it's called Word on the Street, and please check us out, 95.5 WSB uh, FM or WSBRadio.com. Please check us out. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. If you do, tell your friends. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. An amazing. Lots of perspectives. Love what y'all do over there. With that said, we're going to get started with this morning's discussion. Again, just highlighting for anybody out there listening, I'll start trying to get this connection where I'm at right now. So hopefully y'all can hear me very clear. So just bear with me. Have some, some interruptions, if you will. But again, I hope that won't be a problem the rest of this morning. But we're going to go start it the way we always do. Is we do our show in the form of a question. Again, I go by the name Black Socrates, if and so we take the Socratic approach, try to ask the right questions to get to the right answers. And obviously there's been a lot going on in the news surrounding none other than a Kanye West or Ye as he by now, or official by now, I should say. And with that said, um, if you are a first-time listener, quite often when it comes to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, we don't always jump on the hot-button question, if you will. But when we do, it's because I want to offer a different perspective. And I think we will be doing today, so we definitely see the callers out there. Y'all will be able to get in with us. But to get started the way we always do, we're going to start with our queen of intellect, member DeAsia, if you will, queen. When you heard the question worded the way that it was worded this morning, what first initial thought? And this morning's discussion question is, is what happened to Kanye systemic racism? What was your first thought with that question being worded that way? My first thought was that it it was good to use something that's trendy in the media um, that everyone is talking about because Kanye West has basically taken over the Internet at this point. Uh, And it was good to be able to use that situation to talk about a larger issue um, and to, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, Kanye West, he's he's a genius and everything. So um, it was a good way to open up a conversation uh, for us to be able to dissect the situation and discuss some things that would kind of, that would actually help us versus what people would be talking and saying that oh he's trying to help us. But I think having a larger conversation about it can be something that can actually help us and make it make sense for us and within our our demographic and our tax bracket and the things that we actually experience. So I thought that it would be a good conversation and using his celebrity as a segue to have a, a larger conversation. So I thought that it would be a good conversation to have. No, thank you very much. I have a special guest on. But, Shelly, I'll ask you that question before we get Emil Brown as well. Same question to you. When you heard the question, particularly that way, is what happened to Kanye systemic racism? What was your first initial thought? And then again, we have another guest on again on this on that on that question as well. But go ahead, King. I'm sorry, I gotta bring my brother live. All right, just trying to work through these difficulties. Right, we got you live. You good? 
Uh, yeah, when I first heard the uh, question, you had already asked me to come on the show. So when I first heard the question um, uh, and Kanye um, in it, I thought to myself, oh, I'll be on this show for all of about five minutes because it'll be quick conversation. <laughs> hey, fair that enough. Was a fair that, enough. Was, that was a joke. That was a joke. That was a of joke. Course, of course. Of course. That's your initial thought. That's your initial thought. You know what I mean? We're going to go. Because I remember you kind of laughed and was like, oh, it's simple to me, so I ain't mad at you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm with it. I'm with it. All right, I got my brother, Emil Bryant. Let me introduce this real quick. He's a former Air Force officer. Just give it a little context. Thanks for getting on with me this morning. Came on the show before, so you don't need a real big introduction, but if you will, we're going to go ahead and move it. And you've done this before. Is what happened to Kanye, systemic racism, when you first heard the question worded that way? Initial thought again. Thank you for being on with us, um, King. Hey, uh, Montoya, and uh, to to everybody, you know, hello. No, it's not, um, and yes, it is. And Kanye represents a very complex form of racism, but also he walked himself into it. So, no, it's not systemic in the way that we're immediately wanting to say. But yes, some of the after effects of what he said are definitely systemic racism. Love the thoughts. Again, see all the callers out there getting you on after our first initial break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, Smithoff, where you find that Prince Sign of the Times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them like over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. My man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side? They still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check their IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but... I might have to catch them next time. Oh, no, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address in case I get a chance to swing by there? I'm going to pick up that new Kendra Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet took them off the show. Then I go on Drink Champs, then they take it down. The day when I was taken off the Balenciaga site, that was that was one of the most freeing days, you know? You know, we're, we're about making product that's $20, the best design in the world, and that's the reason why we have brought the head designer from Balenciaga, Demna, who's a great designer. That's why I brought him to the Gap in the first place, but they didn't allow that to happen, and that's why I had to get up out of those big corporations so I could get directly to the people. He's full of poo-poo, by the way. Man, please. If, if y'all think that Kanye was, if this is some, like, master uh, strategic plan to get away from all of these corporations, y'all are bugging. Well, he said he's not canceled, but... How you, okay, so ever since his comments, uh, record label, mm. good music, no longer part of Def Jam. He got no. dropped by his new lawyer. Balenciaga stopped working with him. Bold cut ties. Dropped by CAA, which CAA. is a prominent Hollywood talent agency. Albums, uh, they say albums by Kanye are down 23% through October 20th. Uh, no access to post on any social media yeah. platforms and J.P. Morgan bank cut ties. 
When they don't want your money no yeah. more, bro. He said you. Yep. You said good music. You said CAA cut yep. him. You say his banking effort with him. Yep. You say and, no Instagram, no Twitter. And let's be clear, Adidas is on the clock. I'm sure Adidas will be making their announcement any moment now. And they got a lot of pressure because Kanye literally said on Drink Champs he can say anti-Semitic comments and Adidas can't drop him, which is one of the most ego-fueled comments I ever heard in my life. And the fact that they are a German company founded by someone who was in the Nazi party, they can't be a German company to home a denazification and be in bed with a Nazi like KK Kanye. Yeah, and his, his ex-wife posted this yesterday. She said, hate speech is never okay or excusable. I stand together with the Jewish community and call uh, on, on the terrible violence and hateful rhetoric towards them to come to an immediate end. Uh, Back to the Mental Dialogue talk show. Your host, Mon Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, DeAja Robinson. Discussion question is, what happened to Kanye Racism, a special guest, Shelly Winters from Word on the Street, as well as Emil. Thank you all for being with us, Queen. We're going to start as we always do. You get first dibs. As I kind of use the Breakfast Club cut to give content. So again, we have an intellectual outcast. And I always stay what's in the news. And I felt like that little cut gave a quick synopsis, whether you are familiar with Drink Champs, have not seen the Drink Champs, not quite how this is going on. I felt like what you heard there was a little bit of all the anger that you, as you said, that you've been seeing probably throughout the media. So hearing some of those, what stood out to you or what would you like to say? Because, you know, you and I talked this week and you have, you've had some unique thoughts as well, not the common stuff being out there. So if you will, Queen, just what jumped out when you heard that, I will say somewhat of a synopsis for those who may not be in the, in the know, if you will. I completely agree with Charlemagne. Um, that's who we heard initially when he was talking about you got to be crazy to think that this is some type of uh, strategic plan that Kanye West had. Um, so whenever you do something, there's it's, it's cause and effect, and there's a to every action there's some type of reaction. So because of Kanye's West status and the fact that he had been ranting about being in these contracts and the things that he was experiencing with these different corporations and for him to continue to rent for so long and for there to actually be some type of um, recourse for where he ended up getting, you know, dropped because he went too far. He uh, offended a group of people um, regardless of what, we think of what others might think about the group of people. Kanye West did not go, and he didn't actually talk about anyone directly. He offended a group of people, right? So there was something that was done because of that. And I agree with Charlemagne that there wasn't any master plan, no strategic plan, in order for him to get out of his contracts, because that's what a lot of people are saying, because we're glancing over the fact that that's not the only thing that Kanye West was saying, the anti-Semitic um, remarks, those were not the only uh, disparaging remarks that he made throughout his interview with the drink champs. Kanye West went entirely too far. He has been going too far for a long time. And it caught up with him, and unfortunately he lost, you know, some of his deals, although he did want to – he did have um, 
some problems with his deal, but it's just like with us when we're at work. We 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 go to work and we might complain about our boss and the working conditions and they got us messed up and we might come home every day complaining about that. But that doesn't mean that we want to be fired either. You know, a lot of us we we try to find us something different until you know we can quit. That doesn't mean just because we're upset with our employer doesn't mean that we want our employer to fire us. So for people to be thinking that just because he was at odds and he was venting about his contractual agreements, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wanted to be, quote-unquote, fired either. So I completely agree with Charlemagne. No, fair enough. Emil, you had some unique thoughts on that initial and you said, hey, no, it isn't systemic racism. Yes, it is. You got yourself into it. So I want you to kind of delve a little deeper into um, your kind of how you're on both sides of this question, if you Because obviously, as the agent said prior to the break, we're using Kanye as a bridge to a broad question. But obviously, we got to deal with the Kanye stuff first. So, yeah, go deeper into your if you will, Emil. Yeah. So where where I see the no is – he said what he said, and he said it out loud. And uh, as Yeja said earlier, he's been saying a lot of stuff for not just this interview but for years that a lot of people should have rightfully taken offense to. We're not taking him out of context when he said, context when he said you know, slavery is a choice, that 400 years of bondage was a choice that you don't just end up that way without some sort of, agency that you could have changed something and that just denies a, a huge amount of history for black people in America history that his family endured so for him to say that was uh, was patently offensive to me but then when we translate that to what he said recently on drink tramps what we're seeing is that he absolutely chooses to say these outrageous statements so that's not in question there's no systemic racism there however when he says things about black people, there is no systemic transformation of his financial uh, faith. Banks aren't banks aren't dropping him. Um, you can go to someone like Joe Rogan, who says patently offensive things at times, and there's no financial repercussions for him. But when Kanye says it, immediately, not just a minor repercussion. But across the board, Adidas, Balenciaga, his lawyer, the Bank of America, everybody is throwing kitchen sinks at him. And I'm not saying he didn't earn it. But what I am saying, the contrast between Kanye saying something offensive and other not black performers saying something offensive shows systemic racism and how a person who's perceived as saying something offensive is treated. All right. Shelly, jump in and listen to these thoughts. Go ahead, King. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I apologize for that. Um, let me say this. First of all, we yeah. <clears throat> systemic racism is, is a term that we throw around. I don't think really people really understand what it really means. Um, to use the term systemic racism in the context of what we're talking about now, I think, is, is a misnomer um, and, and just intellectually not fair. Um, I understand it in a part of uh, to drive a conversation, but <clears throat> it's actually not intellectually honest in a way. Um, 
to 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 say that what's happening to Kanye is somehow racist um, in the terms of racism, um, I think is un is, is not true. Um, I I saw the same treatment that not the same but similar treatment that Kanye's facing right now. I saw Elon Musk face almost similar uh, treatment when he went to buy Twitter. Um, I saw a similar treatment of Joe Rogan when he was talking about vaccines and he was talking uh, what could be deemed as pro-Trump comments. Um, I've seen similar treatment of white people, um, not the pulling of the bank thing is totally separate. The bank thing is something that I've never seen before in my life when a bank tells you they don't want your money right. and you haven't killed right. anybody and you're not a cartel or anything right. like that. The bank thing is separate. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But, but I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase funded the slave trade. So if we're talking about systemic racism, black people shouldn't even have their money in J.P. Morgan Chase. So it's odd to me that now everyone's cheering for J.P. Morgan Chase's comments. I mean, what they did. So that that, that being aside, um, to say it's systemic racism, I don't agree with at all because we're talking about a billionaire. If you have systemic racism in the first place, you don't have a deal with Balenciaga. You don't have a deal with Adidas. You don't have CAA cover, uh, t- you know, taking part in your career and the rise of your career. And you certainly are not making almost $6 billion, most of it coming from the pockets of white people, if there is such a thing as systemic racism as we are talking about right now. So I, I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that it's there. Now, that being said, and I want to make very clear if anybody ever hears me and wants to go after me on the radio or take me down, I don't agree with Kanye's comments. But let's be clear on what he said. He was talking about Josh and Jared Kushner when he was making those comments. He was talking about two people he had done business with who happened to be Jewish. And he was saying what his anger was at them was that they had a higher percentage in his wife's business than he did and he was her husband. And so that's what he was talking about. Um, the fact that there was turned into quote-unquote anti-Semitic comments, um, I think is the same thing when we say slavery is a choice was turned into what it was turned into, as my brother just alluded to. When he said the comment slavery is a choice was a choice, he's talking about the continued mental slavery on black people in 2023 who walk around looking, talking about there's a boogeyman under their bed that we have to be careful of. In Maryland right now, where Baltimore exists, one of the highest crime rate cities in the country, there is a Emmett Till law, where when something is uh, uh, threatened, um, a, 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 a phone call goes out to national civil rights leaders, um, church pastors, and the entire Maryland legislative caucus, black legislative caucus when a threat is made <clears throat> on African Americans by white supremacists. I want you to be careful. I want you to understand what I just said. In Baltimore, in Maryland, where Baltimore sits as a city with one of the highest crime rates, there is a uh, Emmett Till kind of phone bank, or if you will, like like the like the law where uh, when kids are kidnapped and you have the the quick call that goes out, look out for this license plate. There's something yeah. like that for white supremacists. For white supremacists in 2023, that tells you that we are we are fearful of something that doesn't really even exist, while we ignore the daily murders of our own people by our own people. So the idea 
of this systemic racism idea um, is patently false. I think using Kanye uh, as an example of it, I agree with my brother that it, yes, it is. Yes, no, it's not. But more no, it's not than yes, it is. The most surprising thing, CAA, Ari Emanuel. First of all, let me say this too, and I'm not defending Kanye's comments. And I don't agree with him. I got to say that again because I got to be careful because I am on the radio. But <clears throat> I will say this. The attack, what's happened to Kanye is a very strange way of showing that what he said wasn't true. That's, I'm going to leave it right there. It's a very strange way to tell me, oh, we don't control media, we don't control culture, we don't control the music industry, and when he makes a comment that you deem offensive, everything, music, culture, banking, everything goes away from you. So it's a very strange way of showing you don't have that power. Um, the the slavery is a choice thing, as I said, had nothing to do with um, – he was talking about current day. He wasn't talking about the, the enslaved Africans who were brought here in chains. He was talking about current mental slavery is a choice. You have a choice on whether to believe whether or not white people still have their foot on your neck to believe that. That's your choice to walk around believing that there's some boogeyman out there who wants to kill you. Um, that's what he was talking about when he said that. I think Kanye <clears throat> is a brilliant man. I think he's one of these people – I think he's one of these people who, um, who, who, whose thoughts um, and ideas and opinions um, are shared in a stream of consciousness kind of way. And I think we put too much on what he's saying and not the gist of what he's saying. And being in media, being an opinion talker, I see it all the time. You could say something, you can mean something else, and the person lifts out five seconds of what you said to say, oh, this is what you said, you should be off the air. Um, so I've seen this before. It's happened to me many, many times. But to answer your fun, excuse me, to answer your fundamental question, I sorry to talk so long. Um, to answer your fundamental question, is Kanye West an example of systemic racism? Absolutely not. Except for the J.P. Morgan Chase turning, uh, taking, telling you to take your money out, because I have never in the history of banking heard of anybody any bank saying take your billions of dollars out of our bank we don't want to use, we don't want to take your money anymore um, because I'm positive that JP Morgan Chase has cartel money drug money arms dealer money sexual trafficking money and all kinds of money flowing through that bank on a near hourly basis I love the thoughts I know again I don't mind giving you the, 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 the platform Get it all out, if you will. We don't want to. We don't. We want to make sure we don't take any of your stream of consciousness out of context, if you will, Shelly. Yeah, it happens to geniuses all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, so with that said, I got my brother Calvin that wants to jump in, but I want to hear with Deasia. You know, anything that you want to jump on real quick before we go to Calvin, um, real quick, uh, Deasia. Any thoughts to what? um, I know Emil has some things he probably want to jump in as well, but I want to hear something from the Queen before we go to uh, to our caller. Yeah. Um. What what he said was he he said a lot of very uh, interesting things that made a lot of talking points on some of the things that have been said throughout social media, especially when it concerns the uh, comment that Kanye West made about slavery being a choice and how there wasn't anything that really happened to him when he said that, and he also made the point about you know what's happening to Kanye West proves what. It proves what um, Kanye West was saying. I really don't see it that way um, because when did the Jews never came out or anybody came out to say that they're trying to make a point that they're not in power? 
And a lot of people are saying that, okay, what's happening to Kanye West is showing that what Kanye West is saying is true. Whether or not what he's saying is true or not, then it's, we can't expect for people to put their hands behind their back when they feel offended by something, when they think that a person has gone too far. So they never came out to try to prove that they weren't in power. Um, Kanye West just articulated himself in a way that was offensive to those people. And we also have to keep in mind, too, there was points made about what uh, Joe Rogan and people would come out and say and nothing would happen to them. But we have to keep in mind that we have a responsibility within our own community to pick and choose and decide what we're going to be outraged about when one of ours does something. So what happens is when Kanye West come out and he says slavery is not a choice, the, the same type of way when I heard it was a breakdown to make it make sense as to why Kanye West said that, people will break that down and make it make sense, but also use that as a way to say, well, then why didn't anything happen to Kanye West when he said it? Honestly, it, it, we're not as offended as those people were. We don't really care about that. When our own do something to us, we're not outraged about that. So, I, I, so to use that as an example when, in truth, you're not really mad about it, you're able to make it make sense for you, then using it as an example, it doesn't necessarily fit into this, this the conversation because you're not mm-hmm. really upset with it. It's just that the statement itself is inflammatory. So because it's an inflammatory statement, you want to drag it in and pull it into the conversation to use it as an example when you're not really upset about it. So we can't, we can't pick and choose and tell other people what to be upset with and what to take action, and we're not upset with the same thing. We cannot expect for another group of people to be outraged for us. When something happens to us, we're very forgiving. We make think pieces about it. We try to make it make sense. Um, we make memes and jokes and play with it all on social media. We're not a united front. Um, you have each other... You know, at the bottom, we're we're we'll argue with each other about, you know, what we how we should feel about a certain thing. But if these other group of people, they want to put their foot down, and they want to make a statement, I can't get upset with that. I just I can't. Um, I don't feel like what is happening with Kanye West is systemic racism. Um, at any level, I don't feel like it's systemic racism. But I know that some people feel like it is, and like he did make a point. We're talking about a billionaire here. So it's really, really hard to say that a billionaire is experiencing systemic racism. It's really hard to make that point. Uh, We're up against the break. I'll get you coming out of the break, as well as the other caller coming out of the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right 
That number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. Okay, hopefully this is my last statement on Kanye and anti-Semitism, but I feel like it won't be. But this is what I wrote. Jews are 2.4% of the population, but 35% of the Forbes 400. African Americans are 13.6% of the population, but only 0.5% of the Forbes 400. Instead of listening to the wealthiest and most outspoken black man in the media about the issues he has with potentially racist and stultifying Jews in the industry, which is what going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people translates to in Ebonics, he is completely excoriated. 92% of U.S. Jews identify as white. Israel is known to suffer from intense racial discrimination against its Arab Mizrahi and Ethiopian communities. To destroy the life of a black man who says he's going to speak up about the oppression African Americans face from white capitalist owners is insanely racist and problematic. I wish Abraham Joshua Heschel was alive today to deal with this. What I think he would do is meet with Kanye and allow him to air his grievances and acknowledge the problematic power imbalance between Jews and African Americans in media and African American society. He would encourage Jews and their allies to take what Kanye says to heart and to see this as a renewed call to anti-racism in all of our society, to support African Americans in their quest to have a seat at the table, and for Jewish people to help African Americans get there. Remember, Jewish Americans have an average net worth of $150,890, and African Americans have an average net worth of $24,000. Beating on Kanye for talking about that. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with co-host DeAsia Robinson. This morning's discussion, what happened to Kanye, systemic racism, our special guest, to Winter and Emil. Emil, I'll let you respond to that cut. It's something I just happened to find on the uh, I guess, the perspective that yes, that there is of quote-unquote systemic racism uh, um, to this. The one I'll say this is a quick thought. Again, I got all of you as guests, so I'm going to let y'all run the show, if you will. But I one quick thought I'll say is even in listening to, I'll call that the word salad because you know all the, 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 the right, correct words and words are used in a way to kind of insinuate various things. One thing, even in, in hearing that with the Asian from this standpoint, just from the standpoint of even if they did listen to the cut we just heard, I have no, I have no issue with, like the agent said, of being offended by what they're offended by. Nor do I expect that group to quote help me as this guy suggested. I'm just out. Emil, give me your thoughts, and then we're going to go to Kevin, the caller. So uh, that cut had a lot of truth in it, and it was actually very apropos. What we don't like to discuss, let's discuss real quick, and I'm going to be radioactive for a minute, and like Shelly talked about, sometimes a small part of a larger thought will get taken out of context. But Jewish people in America have a keen sensitivity to the Holocaust. Let's be very clear, many of their parents and grandparents were directly affected by or killed in the Holocaust. So there's a, they're in their culture, 
There's a clear mandate to do whatever it takes to prevent that from happening again. One of the mandates from before the Holocaust and after the Holocaust was very clear. It was to embed themselves into the most important points in American culture. They are doctors and lawyers for that reason. There's more to it than that, but they put themselves in that position very consciously because they know that if they can be in influential positions, they can prevent some of the propaganda that led to the Holocaust and what happened post. That's a beautiful part of the culture, and it worked beautifully. Those stats that the, that, that clip uh, indicated is part of that. There, is a, there was a mandate to make sure that this never happens again and to be in a position to prevent it. And that's why the Anti-Defamation League is so vigilant about uh, anything that uh, is perceived as anti-Semitic. Again, a beautiful thing. What we are seeing is that that network activating. Any potential for anti-Semitism will be blunted immediately and harshly if necessary. That's, that's because they've made a choice as a culture to ensure that that Holocaust or anything like it, the run-up to it, won't happen again. We, as, as black people in America, we haven't had quite that same mandate with quite that same strength of, of conviction, and there are multiple reasons for that that I won't get into. But the bottom line is that we haven't been willing to, as a culture, or able to, as a culture, create the mandate and embed ourselves in the positions that would allow that mandate to come forth that we'll never again see Jim Crow. We'll never again see systemic racism. We'll never again see these things. We've done a lot in this cult, in this country, but we haven't coordinated the kind of response that you see against Kanye when we and our equities have been offended the way that they perceive their equities have been offended. That's the, that's what I hear from that quote. Hey, I love it. Let's go to the caller. Kevin from South Carolina, what you got for us, King? Go ahead, brother. How y'all doing? Um, first of all, I'm going to show you one, one example of – Yes, he is a part of the systematic uh, racism of these particular groups. Disclosure. These are not the views of mental dialogue. <laughs> For the simple fact that you have to say things like that, prove what Kanye is saying. See, no one can tell you that he lied about what he said about them, the ones who perpetrate all the debauchery that you see in entertainment, movie shows, I mean, you name it, they're behind all of our stuff. Anything that got anything to, to degrade black people, these are the people who have been behind it since the birth of the nation, and not the last movie, the first movie, where they play, came up with the uh, minstrel show. They have been there the whole time, but the minute you point at them, it's a problem, and they systematically, all of them, every last one of them are attacking a man for telling the truth. They've never in history went after nobody that hard. How you take a man's bank account down? How you do that? You don't do that. That's unheard of. And for black folks to be in their feelings and don't see the big picture here, let's take Kanye out of the picture. Put it another face there. If they did that to anybody else, it would be a public outrage, but, but we in our feelings because we don't like the individual, the particular individual. We still mad about something, him saying slavery was a choice. Of course, we have the right to have assholes, too, in our community, too. 
But that don't mean right. we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we got to really see the big picture because you think what they're doing to him now, watch what they do to the next one of y'all who think and have the audacity of speaking up on your, for your own selves and for your own people. Watch how they do you. It's going to be so easy hey, to Kevin. run y'all over as a race. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Nah, thank you, bro. I got callers. I won't get to keep you on like I normally do. Um, I'm okay. going to say a couple thoughts to what you said and go to the caller. So say no one will say what he said isn't true. I'll be one to say that it's not true uh, because at the end of the day, kind of to what Shelly alluded to, he understands that in his stream of consciousness exactly who he was directing it to. Even the Asia said, hey, he didn't talk about anyone in particular. So what happens is when you broad brush, you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong broad brush and it's not every last one of them that know it's plenty of people that have been raised in that culture that have no clue what he's talking about and i'm only pointing out because once you start broad brushing you're going to be wrong that's just one thing i'll point out to you um and the example of somebody else being lynched this way mel gibson been in a movie again never directed the movie again so there are examples kind of similar to what shelly to we see it in the context of it happened only to Kanye, but at the end of the day, like Emil pointed out, that group, it doesn't matter who says anything against them, they will destroy them pretty much at all costs, like I said, outside of the banking, which is a whole nother level. Let's go to another caller. Area code six seven eight last three zero nine seven. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and you're through this morning's discussion. Hello, yeah, my name is Cloud from Atlanta. Hello? Going on, Clive. What you got for me? Yeah, you live, right. King. Go ahead. You good. All right. Peace, peace. Yeah, so like uh, the brother said before, there was nobody that had um, disputed what he was saying was true or not, right? And as the lady said, it was between his – or the man said it was between his business partners and him. Now, many interviews have been on where – we, that Jewish people control the music industry, media industry, things like that. That's what he was saying, right? Now, people want to take his money and say, hey, he's a billionaire. But one thing they've done to us, many black people in America have money, but we don't have any power. We don't control any of these industries. And what this showed was she said that we didn't care as much. We do care as much, I believe. We just don't have the power to enforce that care. We don't have the power to snatch up. We don't have a J.P. Morgan. We can't snatch anybody's money out of a bank. We can't take anybody off the air. We can't cancel an Adidas contract. So I don't believe that it's not that we don't care as much. It's just – and, and it's, it would take a multitude of people. We would all have to collectively get together and say, hey, we're going to stop buying something for it to happen. But they have it where one or this, – this in, in concert, if we took all these companies, 20 people made a decision. Not a not a million people, not a hundred million people. Twenty people made a decision. You know, if we say in these boardrooms made a decision, no, he's got to go. We're, that's over with. And that's the problem that 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 it is is that they can make a decision. So when he said there's no systemic racism, there is a per of people who who feel like who are, in my opinion, they are leaders of the Jewish community. They feel that they have the vanguard. They have to protect the community. As he talked about the Anti-Defamation League and everything, these people have taken upon themselves to defend Jewish culture. The average Jew, yes, they may not know anything. They may not be involved with this. It's not a, hey, the average guy you see on the street. But there is shown a concerted effort. As soon as he said these things, we were wiped out. He was wiped out and he was taken out. We cannot, we do not, who, what black men in America have that power to take out anybody if they say something against black people? And that's the problem. 
So that's my thoughts. That's my, uh, what you said, my three cents. So y'all have a good day. Man, I love it. DeAndre, I'll give you a respect. Um, sorry, I don't cut Brother Pianchi off on the net. I'll get him out of the segment. Okay. Any thoughts to what you Um, Definitely. Uh, first, I do want to say that we have to uh, keep in mind that you can't piss somebody off. You can't make somebody mad and then tell them how mad to get. Once you do something to somebody and they feel offended, and they are able to take matters into their own hands and do something about what you did to them, you don't get to start a fire and control the flames. And so what I'm hearing is, you know, uh, people are talking about the length in which they went in order to take Kanye West down. And the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's he's very influential. You know, and the thing is, is what I think it was Shelly that was making a point. I don't know if that was Shelly or the other guy, but she was making a point about, you know, what the Jews did in order to make sure something like the Holocaust doesn't happen to them again. So in our lens, only thing we're looking at, oh, this is a black man and this is happening to him, whereas they're looking at is this is somebody that he's not just a black man. We don't we we don't we we can't we can't glance over the fact that we're talking about Kanye West, a very influential billionaire. He's not just a black man. So they're looking at it like this is Kanye West saying this. Now somebody else may have said that they probably something may have happened to them, but it probably wouldn't have been as grand as what's happening to Kanye West because they're not Kanye West. So if these people are in fear, we got to keep in mind the first law of nature is self-preservation. So if these people are in fear of, you know, potentially going back to, like, the Holocaust or something like that or some type of propaganda getting put out about them that could lead them, you know, back that direction, oh, they're doing everything possible to clap down on that. And so to to try to make it seem like, oh, you know, it's, it's because he's a black man. No, he's Kanye West. That's a huge difference, and he has a huge mm-hmm. He has a huge impact, and he has major influence. So do we have to keep that in mind? We can't downplay who he is to try to make a point about systemic racism because that's very important. No, we're up against the break, and um, I'll just quickly add that um, propaganda is where things start. It's in what is said. So since that's where you are started, if you even look at the history of what happened in Germany, it started with propaganda about who quote the Jewish were in German. So they're particular and as all cultures should be of the narrative that's out there about you. We'll be right back listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, 
Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. Martin Luther King didn't get killed because of I had a dream. He had something else he was going to talk about, black empowerment, economic Empowerment. When I did the Forbes, I showed them $890 million receipt, and they still didn't say billionaire. They don't want us to know that we can buy land. They don't want us to have the 100% ownership. And the reason why I say these things out loud in this way is so I won't be killed. I, I said it out loud already. This is what, but last year, I was killed by the press for having a difference. No, not having a difference in opinion, for having an opinion. When y'all read the headlines, Kanye's crazy, this is that, this is that. It's like one in three African Americans are in jail, and all the celebrities are in jail also, because they can't say nothing. They have no opinion. They're so scared. Back to the Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Discussion question is what happened to Kanye systemic racism with my special co-host Asia Robinson as well as guest Emil Bryant and Shelly Winters. Shelly, I'll let you jump in before we go to Brother Pianca who's been waiting on the line. King, anywhere you want to jump in. Let me bring you back live. I think you had some background noise, so I'll take you mute. Give me a second. All right, here we go. All right, Shelly, now. Yeah, um, what I wanted to say, that cut you played previous with the uh, white guy talking about um, Jewish, I think one of the things that people miss out on, particularly younger people, um, there's a complicated history between Jews and blacks. And, and I say it's complicated. It's like a, it's like a marriage um, that kind of is a little bit um, dysfunctional, but the people love each other. Um, <clears throat> Jews and blacks had a uh, had had a had a um, relationship that was born out of both being um, oppressed, right? And so there was a relationship between the two. The NAACP was started by uh, many Jew, uh, Jewish people on that first uh, Niagara Council. Um, you look at the civil rights movement; many Jews funded. As a matter of fact, the most fam- one of the most famous murders during the civil rights movement had three young men. Two of them were Jewish. Um, so the, the, the Jews and African Blacks and Jews had a very complicated relationship over the years. In the late 60s, it started to turn when you saw black nationalism come out. But you also started to turn, started seeing it turn because in black ghettos, and I use the term ghetto on purpose, in black ghettos, many of the landlords were Jewish and it was substandard living. So that relationship started to take a turn in the late 60s. Uh, In the Mm -hmm. 70s, you saw things kind of turning around. But then when you started getting into um, Al Sharpton's of the world, you remember Al Sharpton, um, basically in the Crown Heights uh, event, was called anti-Semitic then. Um, His lawyer, Alton Maddox, never got his career back because he never took back the words that he said about the Jewish people in New York City. Al Sharpton eventually apologized. Now he's on MSNBC. Um, Jesse Jackson, Town comments, um, Khalid Muhammad and all of what he said, Louis Farrakhan and all of what he said. There's been a complicated relationship between the two groups. And one of, why I bring that up is because of what the cut you played with the white guy, the Jewish guy, talking about what he was talking about. I think that 
we have to understand my problem throughout this whole entire Kanye West episode has not been what Jewish people or the banks or whatever he's been punished with. That hasn't been my problem. My problem hasn't been with his work. I mean, with, with it's been, I have, a, I don't agree with his words, but I agree. I will stand firmly on the fact that he's a freedom. He has a freedom to say him and he shouldn't, his life shouldn't be destroyed by him saying it. But what my problem has been from the very beginning of this is black people's reaction to Kanye. That's what I want to get out of this conversation. If nothing else, we turned our, we have a habit of turning our backs on people in our community because of something they may have said or something they may have done. You know, I think a lot of our anger at Kanye has to do with not slavery was a choice, was him coming down the elevator with Donald Trump in 2016. We turned our backs on Cosby like that. Here's a man that gave $90 million to black colleges, kept many of them in business. They would have folded without Cosby's money, and we turned our backs on him like that. We turn our backs on Kanye like that. And, and I think that that is the lesson here for us. You have a group of people who banded together to pull his money out of a bank, separate himself from his agent, take his music down, do all the things they did to Kanye in, a, in quickness and fat, in speed and quickness because they're banded together. Well, we should have the same banded together to say, hey, you know what? I don't agree with what Kanye said, but if you touch him, we got, we got his back. I don't agree with him going with Trump, but if you touch him, we got his back. I don't agree with him wearing a White Lives Matter T-shirt, but if you touch him, we got his back. That's how we should start to move in this community because what I'm seeing from my people on social media and their attacks on Kanye West is that we are like Pavlov's dogs, that when somebody else gets mad at one of us, we are right there on their side because we are trained to let the white man know, hey, Mr. White Man, as much as we may talk about white supremacy and racism, we are trained to say, Mr. White Man, I'm on your side, even if it's against our own people. And I think that has been my biggest um, concern with Kanye because I saw it with Cosby, and I'm seeing the same thing over again with Kanye. I don't agree with what he said. I will defend what he said about his right to say it, but I also don't like my own people going after a guy who got to that level simply because we're mad at him because he either stood with Trump or he wore a White Lives Matter T-shirt or he's friends with Candace Owens because that's really silly in the grand scheme of things. Uh, we should not allow any black man to lose $2 billion in 48 hours because of what he said. As a people, that should not be our position. Hey, appreciate those thoughts. I'm pretty sure all of the panelists want to talk, but I got these calls we're going to bang out for this last um, five minutes before we get to the top of the hour break. We'll respond to what Shelly had to say after that. We're going to bring these callers out. Let's go to Brother Pianchi. I don't know if you're in St. Louis today or not, Brother Pianchi, but thanks for calling in. What's King? What's happening to Kanye West? It's not racism. That's business. Facebook just lost seven hundred some odd billion dollars within a few days. That's business. And the mixture of Jews, Jews the religion, there's Jews the club. The club is about business. And no group is going to sit you down at the table and teach you how to take power from them. When I was in business, I specialized in my operation, a special thing called metallurgical fusion. I wasn't sharing my ins and outs of that with no other business. I don't care what the skin color was. It's just business. Westinghouse went through that. Rockefeller went through the same thing when he was running for politics. It's business. 
You know who controls the garment business now that the Jews used to control? The Asians do. They just about ran them out of Manhattan. All of these pleas and you ain't treating me right and you need to teach me how I can say that, that ain't going to happen. Nigerians will not teach your black American kids how to take power from theirs. It ain't going to happen. And you know, you talk about them on the world scene, the 19% at one time, I don't know what it is now, of the world's offshore oil well drilling was held by Nigerians. Now, you as a black American go in Nigeria and try to start up a business, you got factions that you're going to run up against too. It's called business. Thank you. Thank you for your three the Pianchi. Let's go to another caller. Area code six zero nine three eight nine one. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning. Good morning, Monsoya. Um, the last two callers were brilliant, I think, but I have a trichotomy, if there's such a word, on this Kanye thing. It is just business. It is just business. And, and what I hear is being said that we need to be about our business and pull our money and put our money in the black banks. There are 100% owned black banks in this country that are struggle, that are struggling. So we can turn things around. We have brilliant designers and realtors and hotels and bed and breakfasts and everything. Do the research. Pull your money where your money is going to strengthen us. The other thing I want to say is I'm really tired of hearing people say black people should do this and black people could do this. When we had it, we had 100% self-sufficient communities, Wall Street was one of them, one of the 21 that was decimated of no provocation, and then there are others we don't know. I just found out that there are lakes and pools of water in Georgia that have our cities submerged under them, whole cities submerged, people and everything. So all over this country we have burial grounds that we know nothing about. The other thing I want to say is some of the things Kanye said were true. But these are things that we have employed. Do you know a law was just passed in the United Nations that said anyone who denies, suggests that the Holocaust did not happen has retribution to pay? Do you know that the Asians, when in Georgia there were three people murdered, somebody went into a salon or somewhere and shot up and killed some people, and less than six months later there's an Asian hate bill? We let me ask you a question, Marilyn. Marilyn, let me ask you a quick question on what you just just gave as examples. And I think this, in my opinion, alludes to something DeAja said earlier. So when we say those this, just isn't that a testament to what those groups did to get, in a sense, those legislators in place, if you will? And so I, I think you're saying something similar. I just want to hear when you give that example, are you just Here's something we can do, or sometimes I hear people give those examples as if there's a – I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm just highlighting this, this small nuance. Sometimes I hear people give that example, and it's like a complaint as if America has done something for another group that they have not done for black people. I don't think you're saying it that way. I just wanted to highlight how that same example, those same examples be construed based on your mindset. So any quick thought on that? we got about – before we go to the top of the hour. So you got to give me a what quick response. Is the people went forth to have those things happen. It was a united front. 
But what I'm also saying is it was received by them where it has not been received by us. They will give us something, and then years later they will take it away or they will put it in place, the Civil Rights Act, okay, the Voter Registration Act. These are things that are on the line because they weren't just permanently put on the book. You know, there's no way they should be able to, you know, they call it uh, voter uh, discrimination. It's voter, uh, I can't think of the word, but it's voter discrimination, what they're doing in this day and age. They take the census, then they move the line so it weakens the black vote. You know, then they tell us at the last minute that voting, we all know what's going on with the voting. I don't have to reiterate that. But these are things that shouldn't happen. They shouldn't happen. So there is systemic racism. Even with Kanye, there's systemic racism for those systems in music and those systems in banking. We are. Now, thank you for your three cents, Queen. We are up against the top of the break hour. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. So, just a quick note: instead of going to our commercial break, I'm actually going to go to, a break. and I'm highlighting this, and I'm taking this break for everyone, the listeners, as well as you, as my panelists, if you will. This is a cut instead of the the, the initial the break that we normally do at the top of the hour. I've already played Money Motivation, one of our longtime sponsors. I saved them for this break. I'm highlighting this cut because it's slightly longer. I want a response. I'll start with you, uh, Deasia. Just kind of give y'all a heads up, pay attention. It's going to transition to the bigger and broader conversation. We've been talking about okay, but he's in the music industry. That's what he's and foremost known. So I want to move the discussion to what we hear now. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Where all is that you think? You're talking about censorship. I don't believe that. I believe in cent- I believe in free art. Make whatever you want. I believe you should make music about anti-Semitism. I believe you should make music about killing dogs. I believe in this country you should make music uh, uh, about uh, bashing homosexuals and driving them behind trucks. I believe you should make music about uh, stringing people up on, on, on trees. I believe you should make music about killing Whitey. I believe you should make all that music. But I also believe that in the mainstream marketplace, people should hesitate associating their name with certain content. You know, there's certain stuff you can't buy at the store, certain stuff you can't get on iTunes because their brand doesn't want it. But if you want to hear black people celebrating killing black people, they got thousands and thousands and thousands of those things to sell you. I don't think it's about censorship. I think it's about American cultural hypocrisy. Because here's the truth. These black entertainers, they can't sing just about anything. There's some stuff that will get them fired, and they get dropped, and they get fired, and they get slapped on the wrist, and they get disciplined all the time. Why? Because sometimes they step over the bounds. A very famous case is what happened with Rick Ross. Rick Ross is the Mammy Two-Shoes, one of the many Mammy Two-Shoes of our day. He's, he's a black entertainer in a world carved out for him and a role carved out for him by white entertainment companies. And one day he talked about, in the middle of a song that celebrated doing drugs and killing blacks, he made a reference to date rape. And when he made that reference to date rape, that set social media on fire. That got 100,000 petitions in 24 hours. Hey, buddy, date rape is no joke. That had white people standing outside of Reebok in New York saying, you better take this seriously. We're tired of a rape culture in America. One line in one song, move the masses. And you know what Reebok did? Did they stand by him and say, hey, we believe in freedom of speech. We believe in freedom of expression. It's just a song. Calm down. No, they fired his tail on the spot. The president came out and said, this goes against our high standards. He's gone against the values of our brand. Shame on Rick Ross. We're disappointed. He doesn't know how serious date rape is. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, how convenient. Isn't that amazing? 
But here's what really happened. It's not their brand. It's not their values. Rick Ross went off script. He was hired to get black customers, and they think that black customers go with black bait. And in America, black bait is the hyper-criminalized, hyper-sexualized portrayal of black people. And as long as he had sung about that, the stuff that got him hired, he still have a job at Reebok. But when he touched other sensitivities that affect us, he lost his job. See, the truth is, it's not they that need to change. It's we that need to change. We, we created the lies. We created them for our profit. We, the, we own the companies. We own the record labels. We own the advertisers, and we keep putting it out. And it's this that's got to change. I thought about it. You know what? I, I wonder if White Mike could get anybody's attention on this. So I stood outside of a Walmart, and I said, hey, uh, I don't think killing cops and killing blacks is very cool. And you know what? It only took seven weeks of Mike Mike standing out there, and they wrote a letter and said, yeah, we don't think it's cool either. We're going to pull our name off of that. The largest retailer in the world had never considered that maybe their commercial shouldn't be right before or after a song about young black men being gunned down. And I realized this, that black murder is normal, but it should not be. And I realized the importance at the coffee table, at every headline, every pastor's gathering, every family gathering, to say, you know what, these black lives matter. It's not just another black kid. These are human beings. I'm doing my best in every way, shape, and form. Talks like this everywhere I can go to say, you know what, I was born in a world where black murder was normal. My kids were born into a world where black murder is normal. But I don't want to die in a world where black murder is normal. And my five years or ten years away, I don't know, but I'm screaming as high as I can. Let's feel this. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Michael Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host, DeAsia Robinson. This morning's discussion question is, what happened to Kanye? Racism, as you hear us shifting the show to the bigger as we hear uh, White Mike, for those who are in the hip-hop world and are familiar with him, um, long-standing advocate of changing the narrative, if you will. Um, DeAsia, start with you. Again, I think it's perfect context because that cut open with censorship and we're, we're watching a sense of censorship with the Kanye matter, if you will. But your thoughts, Queen, to the cut and maybe how it references today's conversation. Go ahead, Queen. Sorry, got to bring you live. Got gotcha. you. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. Um, to, in, my, in my honest opinion, what he was saying was a bunch of inflammatory stuff that I, I don't agree with uh, when he was talking about censorship and you should be able to say any and everything and talking about freedom of speech. Well, freedom of speech isn't free. Uh, if you if you want to jump out there and you want to say whatever you want to say, that's absolutely okay. Cannot, no one can take technically the right to say what you want to say cannot be taken away from you. No one can stop you from uttering something from your mouth, right? You could you could come out and say what you want. However, there are going to be repercussions to certain things that you say, and that's rightfully so. The same thing that he's saying about how there's a problem with censorship, and then also talking about the problem in our communities, it, it, it's because there are certain things are not censored. You know, we are there are things that's in 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 the TV and programming and in our music that we pick up that is damaging to our community as Black people. And some of those things should not exist in music. Everything that is on a person's mind doesn't need to be said. Um, and we have to think smarter than that. We have to we have to get out of this mindset. See, Black people. For some reason, we feel like we're making change because we're talking. 
we feel like getting something off our chest and speaking up and you know now I'm an activist and I'm I'm bringing forth change just running your mouth does not garner change it's a lot of things that's happening in our society in silence that we have absolutely nothing to do we have we don't know anything about it these people are not coming out making statements they they are moving in silence and they're controlling things right Whereas on our end, we want to come out and we want to rant and we want to rave and we want to just be able to say everything that's on our mind and nothing is supposed to happen to us. And, you know, this is the freedom what we're looking for, the freedom of speech, the freedom to say with anything that's on our mind, right? That's fine. You can say that. You could do that. But you're not in, you're, you're not in power. So now the people in power, when they want to take action, now it's, oh, I got a problem with the fact that the people in power got a problem with what I said about them. So why not move in silence and quit ranting about things when it's not it's, – it's not doing any good, these rants and going off about things and just being able to say everything that's on your mind. It doesn't resolve any of the issues that we're dealing with. That's not activism. That's just talking. So I think that well, it's dangerous that that's the, that that, um, that clip, I think a lot of stuff that he said is dangerous because that makes people feel like it's okay to put a lot of inflammatory stuff out there and put things in the music that is essentially damaging to our communities. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to move to Emil. So I'll just challenge you, if you get a chance, maybe hit a cut again. The context that I had, Mike, in was the idea of allowing anything personally. And the reason that, boy, in his in his case, what I took him to say, the reason that black death and black murder are okay commercially is because of, one, okay to, and the, and he's saying, hey, why is that okay in a commercial standpoint? On your own, yeah, you can say whatever you want, but when you bring it to the commercial standpoint, why isn't there? Uh, uh, and he's pointing out why the, where the hypocrisy is, or why certain things are allowed versus things are not. So I'm just kind of throwing it out. But you're right about not being empowered to do anything. About it. I, I you, you want me to tell you that. the reason why? It's because. Yeah, Queen. We we have to we have to get out of this uh this mindset of everything is happening to us and we are not in control of anything. And yep. it's it, some of what some of what he's saying kind of push this propaganda of like inferiority as well. Mm-hmm. We saying. don't care. I, I, we we have to accept the fact that we don't care. We glamorize those things. It's not the That's fact not. that things are just being said to us. It's the stuff that we glamorize. We essentially, like as a as a whole, we do not care. We 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 get off from talking about doing something to one another. We get off from that type of stuff. We ride around. We listen. We listen to that music. We make uh, movies. Like it, back in the nineties, all of those, you know, the black cinema, the movies that were created, Boys in the Hood, Juice, and all of that. We glamorize that kind of stuff. So. Knowing that we glamorize that kind of stuff, and then when it get pushed, because the thing is, if I know that if I if if I see that you like poison, and I know how to I know I know how to market poison, and if I see that you like poison, and I could make a profit off of the fact that you like poison, 
I'm gonna keep selling it to you because you like it. I'm right. You, Damn right. So we have to, we have to keep that in mind. Be honest about that. Now be honest about that. I'm gonna say this real quick. This is add on to what you're saying. We're gonna go to Emil, but the one is for even for people that are saying, hey, they push this. I'm like, like you just said, if it make a dollar, I'm going to turn it. That same company pushes. If you and I, DeAsia, can go out there and capture the sound of the rain in a way that can help people to sleep, and we put out a that says, hey, this is you sleep. They're going to push that too. It's just never makes a dollar. But we think there's you feel me? Like, I, I'm feeling you 100%. It's not no grand scheme. They like, it's Mark. Exactly. Oh, I it's, see you like this kind money. of stuff. They're not going to push something that they can't make a profit off of, so we got to ask ourselves, why Why do we like this, and why, why, why is this something profitable? It's not something for them to sort out. It's for us to sort out as a community. They don't have control over the things that we are, we are turned on by. So it, if we like it, hey, this is what they like over there, and I'm going to push it over there because I can make a dollar off of it. We we got to fix that within ourselves. They don't have, they can't fix that for us. Emil, your thoughts on another caller. I'm going to actually get you and Shelly in before the caller. Go ahead, Emil. Do I have you live? Uh, Emil, are you live? Okay. Yeah, I was taking myself off. So... First of all, um, that clip, I do not believe in uh, unlimited free speech. I'm sorry, I'm not that person. And what he said just is, we teach our children, this is something may break up all the names that ever hurt me. And then, if you look back hey, I don't know if you've changed how you're in the phone, but you're in the background. It's hard to hear you. And you have me, I think you have a show on in the background as well. I don't. I don't have. have I don't show? have a show on in the background. Can you hear me okay, okay. now? I'm, I'm yeah, you're a lot better. Whatever you're doing now is completely different. Yeah. We, so start. Yeah, okay. No problem. Start. So, um, I don't. I, I am not the person that is believes in unlimited free speech. I'd like to believe I am. In an ideal world, I am. But what I see is a degeneration of speech into hate. So I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna say that unlimited free speech is the way to go. We talk about as children. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And then Kanye West says something, and he gets immediately canceled. And this has nothing to do with censorship. This has everything to do with the consequences of speech, as DeAsia said. We are not a people who do well with unlimited free speech. We will cancel each other. So let's just not even, in my opinion, let's not even have that discussion. What the, what the clip said about, you know, you can make all this stuff, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with gangster hip-hop much. I used to love it. Now I don't because I don't like the imagery. And part of what the Asia said is absolutely true. We do listen to it. But let's be very clear. The Stop the Violence movement in the East Coast, and the, we're all in the same gang movement in the West Coast that was moving toward music that had potential for unifying our people under a musical umbrella was not pushed. And it was popular, and it was making money. And several of the artists from those movements that were going to be big hit makers were not given the same status as people who were saying things about violence and drugs at the same time. And they were pushing units. So we can't just say that it's simply people's taste. It isn't. Our taste was to listen to good music that had multiple meanings. Black people in America have a very complex relationship with music of message. We listen to the profane and the profound often in the same song. 
So for us to say it's all one thing or all another thing is not true, and it doesn't allow us to have the complexity of humanity. Yes, sometimes we do glorify violence, and sometimes it feels good in the same way that it feels good to play modern warfare without that being a trigger for violence. At the same time, there are beautiful games out there that are making millions of dollars. The Sims is not a violent game. It's been around for decades, and it makes billions of dollars in the same way that modern warfare does. Those two can exist at the same time without being a testament to the gamer community writ large. So when I, when I hear that we're choosing violent music almost exclusively, it is as if the menu for violent music is almost exclusive. And that is the problem with this conversation that we're having. It isn't exclusive, but it seems like the menu that we're choosing from, from commercial radio, from commercial uh, music companies, tends toward the more violent when it comes to hip-hop, the more misogynistic when it comes to hip-hop. Uh, this is a problem that we, we, as consumers, we have a responsibility, absolutely. But let us not let us not pretend like the menu isn't being influenced. 35, nah, 40 years enough. ago. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Yeah, I'm up against the break, brother. Now I gotta, I'm going to shoot, okay. shoot to this break. I can go on, but, but, yeah, well, but I'll give you time. Yeah. Man. Uh, but that's where nah, I'm at right there. No, nah, I respect it. I respect it. Again, all the opinions. Hey, thank you for your thoughts. We'll be right back. We're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, Smithoff, where you find that Prince sign of the Times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them like over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. But my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side, they still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes too. Let me check their IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendra Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. Their whole psyche is based on something that's just incorrect by every sense of the financial data. So moving moving along, which, which, what you find is that the next – so if you were to look at America across – Take all the families across 100 percentiles. So, like, you know, the 50th percentile is the key because the bottom 50, from the 50th percentile family to the 90th percentile family, that section, that section of American families has about 25 percent of the wealth, percent of the wealth. But we're really not part of that group either, African Americans. We're a very small part, small section. We're maybe about two percent of that of that 25 percent. Our whole race, our, almost our whole race, is in the bottom 50th percent, and not even at the top level of that bottom 50th percent. You know, I've shown you that the middle black family is worth $1,700, and I don't think that you really grasp what that means in terms of, like, how crazed we are in terms of the dreams we have versus the wealth level we have. 
I don't think that you're really digesting how this, what this means for black families that are under, say, the age of 40, 45. Because basically the small group that is in the, in the 50th to 90th percentile are mostly all boomers. This isn't like young blacks. Young blacks have been cut out of the American dream. And so, like, when, when, I, when I start to say this, I'm going to lay it out in data. I'm pulling up a chart that shows you to get in the top 50% of America, the ticket in is, is about eighty-five dollars to $100,000 in worth, in worth. Not earnings, not income, worth. The middle black families were $1,700, though. There's only so, – so if you look at this thing in terms of, like, numerics, there's 14 million black homes. That's it. There's 40 million blacks. We live in 14 million homes. There's about 180 million whites, and they live in 80 million homes. Eight million of their 80 own almost everything, like 75% of the pie. So for us, of the 14 million black homes, only 2 million are above the 50% like mark line. That's it. That is all. Just 2 million black homes are above the 50% mark line. Almost our whole race is in the bottom half of America. The part that only owns 1% of the wealth in this country. The black race is largely made up of black people that don't have any money. Now, what what's the trip is that black people have not really digested that and adjusted their habits, their demands, or anything, because they really believe that they have the means that white people have. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host DeAsia Robinson. This morning's question is, what happened to Kanye systemic racism? Special guests are Emil Bryant and Shelley Winters, as I know that they seem out of place but as I said, I wanted to move to a broader conversation, and I think throughout this conversation, there's been different on highlighting whether what happened to Kanye was a specific example of systemic racism or not, and there, those thoughts have been buried. A lot of things have been said that make a lot of sense. I bring cut in because something that Shelley said, and I'll get some thoughts on initially, said earlier in the show was the idea of even the question itself is intellectually dishonest to to an extent. I wouldn't even disagree with that. So I go to this cut because, again, I want to move to a broader conversation because I would like to delve in things that may be systemic if we all, to a degree or to a certain degree, some degree that this Kanye situation is not one, dollars and stuff felt like it is, and that's fine. But to move away from that dialogue, I wanted to move some some of that into some things that actually might be, because I'll say this in my personal opinion, the things that are, in my opinion, rarely get talked about, the things that are systemic racism in this country rarely get talked about, in my opinion. And I say that to say, and that's how they're able to permeate and continue. So we confuse things that aren't, in my opinion, systemic racism with that. And have and never have conversations about things that potentially are. That cut just highlights historically we've been able to land based on history, in my opinion. And I agree with Tone Talks, just to be clear who who that 
from. I agree with you in that we are quite delusional in how much we have, and so therefore we never discuss that collective largely out of the lower 50% into the upper 50%. So trying to move the conversation to things that more are, if you will, Shelly, I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but just wanted to get into that dialogue because I too agree that what we're talking about today, specifically with Kanye, isn't much of that. However, in my opinion, as I said, we don't talk much about things that actually are. Any thoughts from what you just heard, Shelly? Uh, let me make sure I got them live. We just had some background noise, so I'm just trying to cut people in and out. So y'all will bear with me and make sure we got you. Got a lot of callers out there. We're going to try to get to y'all. Go ahead, Shelly. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's right. I, I think many times um, it, when you're when you're 13 percent of the population with the history that we have as black people in this country, I think many times everything looks everything we're hammers and everything looks like a nail, you know. And and so you can extrapolate the wealth gap and what that brother just said and blame it on systemic racism, and that becomes the easy way out. Oh, okay, we only worth seventeen hundred dollars, so it's got to be systemic racism. And 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 I'm not saying that it's not. Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying that if you put it on systemic racism, if you're making the system racist, then how do we move from 1700 uh, net worth or, or the brother said or what the brother said to match everybody else in the middle class? How do we do that? Because if you're telling people that the color of their skin makes them only that they'll never be able to be worth more than that, then there's no answer for it. There's no fix to it because the system's against you. So when I talk about things like systemic racism, I talk about it from the standpoint ignore the systemic racism and now place it on something else do we need more savings most americans are not saving money we would be including in that included in that um most americans he said 180 million white people only 80 million have homes well that means most white people don't have their homes either so to make us the outlier in the statistics that he said and then blame it on something that we can't control, I think we're setting ourselves up for failure. So I think that when we do, when we say things like systemic racism and we have whole conversations around it, the end of that conversation essentially makes the person walk away and say, well, what can I do about a system that hates me? As opposed to what can I do within a system that hates me in order to thrive? Because we see that in every other group that's not white. We see it in Asians. We see it in Hispanics. Hispanic net worth right now is higher than African American net worth. And white people, as far as I'm, I hear from the Democrats, hate white. I hate Hispanics. So, so uh, you know, so or white Republicans hate Hispanics. So I, my point is, is that I'm not saying that something does exist or doesn't exist. I'm just simply saying that it, in, instead of our focus being on something I can't, we can't change. If we believe in systemic racism, by definition, it's a system that hates me because I'm black. If we believe that exists, then there's no way of us fixing that problem. Now, if we understand that it may exist, now we can work and maneuver our ways, our way around those problems and fix those problems with increased savings, with banking with each other, with doing business with each other. With each other. Look at the top two black men in America, but not non-entertainment, who are billionaires. They have nothing to do with entertainment, and they have certainly nothing to do with basic services. Their services is a technology company, um, and Robert Brown is an investment company. So uh, Reginald Lewis, investments. You know, Bob, uh, Bob, Bob, um, 
Baba, what's his name with yeah. BT media. Yeah. So yeah. you know, these are the things that we are we're we are involving ourselves in in order to in order to make money, uh, or some of us involving ourselves in in order to make money. And I'm taking the entertainers and the athletes out of it. So. I'm saying, and I'm certainly not in that in that in that category of the fifty percent plus. I like to be, and I've got to live my life because I in a in a purposeful way to get Psycho Bunny shirts for one hundred and forty dollars when I go to Walmart and buy a golf shirt that looks the same way without the little bull BS excuse me BS logo on it. So you know these are the things that we have to understand. And I encourage everybody to, to read two books. And I'll end here. I'm sorry, Montoya. I'll read two books. Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell is a brilliant book for everyone listening to read right now. And the other book is a book written in the early Um, 60s called um, The Black Bourgeoisie. Hello? I want him to repeat that because he he cut off me, so I want to make sure everybody. DeAsia, can you hear me? I'm sorry, I might have a... Montoya, I can hear you. Emil, can you hear me? I can hear you, Montoya. Hello? Hello? You're cutting out now, Montoya. Can, can they, yeah, you're cutting out. I'm the one I hear Emil. Yeah. Okay. With me. I, I, if you're on the show at the beginning, I was having, I'm, I'm in a bad place with you. Um, but if you will, repeat the book. Two books, I would say. Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. I encourage everyone to read that book. And I also encourage everyone to read a book called A Black Bourgeoisie, which is a book written in the early to mid-60s about the burgeoning uh, black middle class coming from the underclass. And I, and I encourage everyone to read that because that book speaks to, in the early 60s, what was necessary to get to the next level and what were the problems to get to the next level that they were seeing in the early 60s that we are seeing currently to today um and so the black bourgeoisie i would encourage everyone to read that book and i've got to get into the bank before 12 noon montoya so i apologize i gotta go early if you don't mind okay i wanted yeah i wanted to say um challenge you to hear a thought to you if you i don't know if you had a second to listen to it can you still hear me yes, or sir. am i still going in and out i can hear okay. you i can hear so, you okay so i'll say this to you since you got to go so i'll say to you that similar to what we talked about earlier Realize, obviously, I just that from tone. The context would would add the solution. I just kind of gave numbers, just that part specifically, again, to move the conversation to a bigger place. What I will say to you is that there is an answer once you recognize realities, and not the only way that you can walk away is with the idea. That there's nothing I can do, and you can't save it into the, the next 50 percentile. And so there are aspects, even the people you're talking about, the Bob Johnsons of the world, who realize that if if a systemically been faced with, they've been faced with historically, there is an issue and a recourse of action when you realize that, yeah, when you say there's a lot of white families, if there's 80 million with homes and there's 180, you know, 180, yeah, white people without homes. However, the context of it is when you realize that there are actual systemic things within housing, which is where we're going to go next. For why that's I, I agree because I got to go. Let me just go say ahead. this, Montoya. Let me just let me okay, just say this. Ahead. Right now, right now, African Americans in 2022 are inside of the system. So 
if we're going to say that there's systemic racism, then we've also got to hold some responsibility. Because right now we're CEOs, we're C-suiters, we're on boards of directors. We're, we're involved the, the in four, this. The, the, four, the four CEOs out of the, the 100? I, I'm talking about that we are involved in middle. I'm, I'm talking about we're involved in, in, in middle management. If you go to any corporation right now, it has been the last 40 years, it has been popular to hire African-American, particularly women, in these companies. And if you look at these companies, there are a lot of African-American women in positions of power. So if we're going to talk about systemic racism, then we've got to include ourselves because integration made us a part of this system. We're not outside the system anymore. We're not outside screaming to get in. I want to see that lot. I want to see that lot. I want to see those numbers. I know you got to go. see that a lot of numbers. Well, you can Google them. Google them. Google them. Google percentage, percentage oh, oh, oh. of blacks in corporate oh, oh. America. Yeah, we, the, the numbers don't. But I got to get in the lot. bank. The bank's going to close at 12. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Because I, I got to go, go get my $1,700 out yeah, the yeah, bank. Go ahead, go. I'm letting you go. I love you, brother. All right, brother. All right, no doubt. Appreciate you. We're going to go to a break. Just bad connect. No, we're here, but you're breaking up. All right, I'm going to break. If you can hear me say I'm going to break. Yes, we can hear you. All right, sounds good. Is anybody else hearing the break play? No, no break is playing right now. Someone told you the break isn't playing. You might need to you might need to call back in. But um, as he's going through his tech issue, I did want to point out something uh, very important in the conversation that Shelley was having. Um, and I agree with a lot of what he was saying because um, as I was listening to listening to that clip, it made me think about something that we experience as Black people. Uh, we experience a sense of entitlement because of what has happened to us, um, and we don't feel like we got our we we got our reparations and we got what was promised to us. So we also because of that we have a sense of entitlement, like somebody is supposed to be giving us something, and we have to get over the fact that. That's not going to happen. Nobody is going to give us anything at this particular point. We are actually in the system. We are part of the system um, due to integration. And what we have to keep in mind is these other marginalized group of people, they were able to penetrate the system in order to become, in order to um, be able to be in uh, places of position, positions of power. So the conversations that we will have about systemic racism and what is happening to us, the average person is not going to listen to that and take it and feel like okay, they can they can tackle they can tackle the problems that we're having. A lot of people are feel defeated. And that was what I was talking about, about the propaganda for the inferiority complex. A lot of people feel defeated, and they'll think, oh, what can I do about this? 
So the conversation itself is we have to keep in mind that, yeah, there are some things implemented that's against us, but we also, our conversation needs to be more so geared towards sitting around that round table and having those same conversations like the Jews, for example, had with each other where they say, hey, this is what we we, we know we're, we're um, up against the A-ball, our back is against the wall. We don't want this to happen to us again. We need to build ourselves in this system, and we need to penetrate this system so we can be in a place of power. We 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 need to penetrate the system so we could be in a place of power. But while we're doing it, we have a group of us that talk about separating from the system. We're pulled in two different. We're we're always pulled in these two different directions, where we're not working as a collective, and we don't necessarily need every single person to get on board. But we also need to start talking about our issues in a way of empowerment on what we can do versus the conversation always being this group is doing something to me i'm going to speak out on this group doing something to me and my voice should change the world my voice should change my conditions versus your actual actions you don't always have to say anything to do something so we just have to get to that point where we realize that Nothing is going to be given to us. We are part of the system, and we have to find a way to penetrate the system even more than we have now in order to put ourselves in more positions of power so that we won't be scared of the quote-unquote boogeyman, and every time something happens, we're the victim in the situation. But because we don't feel powerful, as powerful as we should, when things happen, even when it was something that was happening with the Asian community, had absolutely nothing to do with us. But we found some kind of way to make ourselves a victim in that. We have absolutely nothing to do with those group of people that are upset because two or three of theirs got killed, and they feel like it's some it's it's, it's some type of Asian hate going on. If they wanted to band together and make some noise and put some policies and laws in place to protect their own, they have a right to do that. But within that, what did black people start doing? We started talking about, well, when something happened to us, it, it wasn't any laws changed. and uh, it, 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 All of this stuff, we, we started complaining about all of that stuff. But we can't we can't look at the other group and compare what is happening. We need to be looking at the other group and compare how they were able to band together. We need to study these that, groups and, and how that. how were they able to get these things passed. That's what we need it's, to focus on. It's it's not that simple though. The the thing that and I some of what you were, what you say I agree with, but let's go back in time. The first anti-lynching bill that was put in, that was tried to be passed, was over a hundred years ago, and it was, there was an anti-lynching bill that didn't pass until 2022, after a hundred years of efforts by black people who were very much entrenched in the system. Madam C.J. Walker, Ida B. Wells wrote extensively and gave money extensively to pass an anti-lynching bill. But Asian people feel a little bit of hate, and I'm not saying I'm not I don't want to minimize their pain. But they feel something. They get something done. It takes over 100 years of concerted effort. 
that anti-lynching bill was was introduced into the House of Representatives in America over 50 times in the last 100 years. That's not the same. And to say that we should band together excludes the fact that we have banded together. That's how we got the Voting Rights Act, the same Voting Rights Act that's been assailed. Remember, in, when George W. Bush was president, the Voting Rights Act passed unanimously in the Senate, 94 to 0, when the last time it was fully reauthorized. 94 to 0, with no functional change in how America sees itself, that Voting Rights, Bill, Voting Rights Act, reauthor, the next reauthorization was split along party lines. From 94 to 0, split along party lines. Clearly, there's, without any functional change, without any structural change in how America voted, the Voting Rights Act was almost not reauthorized. Now we have the Supreme Court that, that actually said that parts of the Voting Rights Act is no longer applicable, even though we have no functional change in how the, the voting rights, uh, how voting has been done in this country. It's not us not participating in the system. We vote. We vote so hard that people got scared and wanted to change the Voting Rights Act and wanted to attack it in court because we were doing exactly what you said. We were claiming our power within the system. So we can't say that it's simply our lack of participation when it's our participation that created the Voting Rights Act. It's our participation that created the Civil Rights Act. We try to live under those, and we have a concerted group of people who don't want us to live as equal citizens in this country. If you don't believe me, let's go to what you spoke about earlier. There were 21, at least 21 communities around the country that were clearly self-sufficient or more self-sufficient. Those communities were attacked or neglected. They were attacked or neglected. So we have demonstrated the ability to work for ourselves, and yet we have an enemy that says you doing for yourself is somehow a threat to us, and they attack that. I come from Oregon. There is a place called Vanport, Oregon. Oh, yeah, finish that. Go ahead. We can hear you now. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. There's a place called Vanport, Oregon. Ben wants to jump in, so I'm going to have her jump in after you, um, Emil. Finish your thought. thought. Okay. No problem. Vanport, Oregon. It was flooded out by the Columbia River because it was on the banks of the Columbia River. It was a small but burgeoning black community in Portland, Oregon. And after the flood, the city of Portland said, we're not going to rebuild that. All y'all who are displaced, figure out a new place to live. So a thriving black community was neglected, was not, was not uh, given a chance to rebuild itself after a natural disaster. That's a concerted effort against black uh, liberation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be part of the system or that we should. What I'm saying is when we do participate, we have an active force that will try to stop us. And, yes, we have to recognize that. But it's not because we're we're lacking in the ability or willingness to participate. It's that there's a group of people who refuse to allow us to thrive in that system. Let me throw this out and let get Latrice in here real quick. So um, love what both of you are saying. I think there's some – some medium ground, medium ground, and the medium ground is this. So with that, those concerted history, concerted history, um, I think there is there is some idea, or there are some things that we see now where I don't, we're no longer going to see a 
a self-sufficient black city destroyed, but we kind of rely on that history as though it may be current. I think some of that is due to the trauma. Uh, However, where Shelly misses, in my opinion, is when you disregard what happened to those thriving places and when you disregard some of the stuff that you're talking about, Emil, then it plays a role in why the larger half of our community is in that lower for 50% that Tone talks about. And so we kind of forget about that period and say, okay, well, let's just do it now as if historically what happened ain't why the group's there and to expect when there's economic downturns, whether that's black, white, or whoever, economic downturns, those that are in the lower half are going to get hit the worst. So when we're in the middle of a downturn right now, that's actually what's happening. And it's as and if you disregard that history, which, which, which is what a lot of people try to do when you save yourself way into the next 50 percent, it's impossible to do, but it's impo- not impossible for me as a black person. It's impossible to disregard it and think it has no effect, and that's what I think people quite often do. Go ahead, um, Latrice. I think I got you jumped in. I got you live right now. Go ahead, Latrice. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Good. Go oh, ahead, Queen. Okay, great. So first of all, let me dispel the myth that Mr. Shelley Winters put that there is no white supremacy. There is. It's not in our heads. Um, There are these systemic issues. There are stats to support it. And, you know, when you were asking him to provide provide you with data, he had to go and say, Google it. So um, for every $100 that a white family has in income, black families have just $57.30. Black unemployment rate has consistently been double that of other races. And when we talk about black people with college degrees and college debt, we are still twice as likely to be unemployed than others. Why? Because of systemic inequities. Imagine that. Because of, in some instances, unconscious or explicit bias. It exists. Time. It's not income that we earn, and income contributes to our wealth over time, but income fluctuates. It comes, it goes, it raises, it lowers. But because we started out behind the, the eight ball, because our ancestors were kidnapped and brought to this land and worked for over 400 years for free building wealth, we have a 400-year, they have a 400-year head start over us with building wealth. And so that is difficult to overcome when they don't expect pay parity for black people, meaning for black people to be paid equitably to white people or equally to white people for 97 years. So it's going to take us 97 years for me to walk into a place and get a job that pays me the same thing as an equally qualified, equally experienced white man. 97 years. So if we can't even get paid equitably, how are we going to close this wealth gap? How are we going to get the power to change things around? And saying that we shouldn't just we shouldn't focus on that is a bunch of baloney because for years we didn't focus on it. And the only thing that happened is it got worse. I'm actually glad that we we are, we've now entered this period where all of these inequities where all of this racism is being brought to the forefront because it's existed all of these years. 
We've just turned a blind eye to it. White people and other races have have raised generations of children to be colorblind. And in doing that, they really don't see nor do they understand the disparities that exist. And one thing that Shelley made a comment on when he, in his initial statement that really um, grinds my gears was on the murder in our neighborhood. Let's get it clear. There is no such thing as black-on-black crime. Those are crimes of proximity, and they happen in black neighborhoods, they happen in white neighborhoods, they happen in Asian neighborhoods, they happen in Latinx neighborhoods, and you want to know what precipitates most of that violence? Poverty. So if we deal with the wealth gap, if we deal with income inequality, we can then deal with this violence that is a result of living in close proximity to others who are just as poor as you are and feeling hopeless. Thank you for your three cents, Queen. It's beautiful. No, I love it. I love it. Because of my technical difficulties, I've been missing my break, so I'm going to go to one last break, and I'm going to let the Asian meal and close out their thoughts. So thank you for your three cents this morning. I'm going to try to get to one other caller, too. I see a couple of callers out there. Kevin, I don't think I'm going to get back to you. i got another caller I haven't gotten to. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African-Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. In the very beginning, we don't allow for enough diversity of thought because exactly. all groups are diverse. No group is monolithic. Exactly. So we have a concept because, unfortunately, being on the bad experience and the oppressed end mm-hmm. of how America created itself, when, mm-hmm. in a sense, race is the backbone, unfortunately, that created this country. You know, there was the genocide of the Native Americans and then the enslavement of us that is still the backbone and it systematically has played out to the point where most of us, one, don't know that it's a construct and right. two, and two, if the world is glo- going global and moving off of it, we're mm-hmm. staying stuck over here and still remember, you know, we talked about this on some of the shows, silly stuff such as, you know, you being smart was looked up down upon because of our own hurt and own trauma. That exactly. We have. So we're stuck in this construct of whether you're black enough or not, and this is a this is some made up shit. That, exactly, it's the same kind. Like, like, bro, you hit it on the head so much because what it does is it simpletons you. It simp it simplifies you. So now what you're doing is every debate, every issue, every offense, you everything is under the guise is under the guise of race. And so it's easy to debate. It's easy to, it's, it's easy. So what it does is it makes you, it makes it easy for the opposition 
to go, bro, why is everything race with you? Why is it the race card with you? Everything is the race card with you, right? What is, what's going, like, and you hear this all the time. And, but, the, but here's the deal. No matter what the issue is, right, 60 to 70% of the time, what are we going to fall back on? Race. The construct. Oh, the construct. And, and let me say this, and I'm going to end this thing. I'm okay. going to say this. Okay. Because here's the flip side of what you're talking about is when a Magic Johnson or somebody goes up, expires into business, starts making key relationships, you know, who Magic, we know Magic Johnson is very committed to our community, but right. I tell you, in Lansing, Michigan, I know from a friend, they don't necessarily feel that way in Lansing, Michigan right. because of the viewpoint that you and I are talking about now. Right. And so what happens is all other groups have the freedom to expand and diversify as necessary to get their hands on as much resources as possible. We have a, because we see it through this lens, Bro. have a certain way that it's supposed to happen. And That's if it, it don't, we'll throw somebody who's actually committed to us Yes. In the best way that they can, we'll start throwing them under the bus because of this lens. We throw them away. That's a made-up construct from the very beginning. 100%. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, DeAsia Robinson. This morning's discussion question is, what happened to Kanye? Systemic racism. Still having Neil Bryan, our special guest on. DeAja, I'm going to start with you. We're about to close this thing out. But I played a cut from one of our my Just My Three Cents video podcast that we do from time to time. Uh, myself and one of our longtime members and callers, um, William Agnew, was just kind of breaking down what he called the mind at mind fuck of race. And so I think, again, moving the conversation from Kanye to the larger context, I think some aspects of what we were saying in that conversation applies today. So give me your thoughts, and we'll definitely let Emil give his thoughts as well. Go ahead, Queen. Um, I didn't get to hear most of uh, that cut because I was coming in and out. But from what I heard, um, I will say this is, I think that there are problems within the system. There are definitely problems in the system. And for somebody to say, for anybody to just make a point as if there aren't any issues or uh, race doesn't play a part in some things, that's disingenuous because it's definitely, um, there, there def- there's definitely a power struggle, a power structure um, designed to actually remain in power rightfully so um i don't i don't expect for any group of people to relinquish their power for the betterment of someone else so that's one thing however as a people the focus point being on this this problem and the disparities that we have the focus point being on that and we have someone like your Kanye West which is a billionaire who is coming out and speaking as if he's an oppressed man, that can lead people to feel defeated. And at some point we have to be able to, like, the the power that Kanye, even with the power and all of the money that Kanye West has, right, look at all the money. And I know we are, I'm just using him as an example not to just talk right. about him, but we're we're talking about a guy that is a right. billionaire, so when he said something wrong, all 
the power that we thought that he did have, it's getting smashed up. All of his money, money is power. So now they're taking away his money. And so now as they're taking away his money, they're taking away his resources, right? Because we don't have people, our own people, in the same type of position of power that they are in. So money itself isn't the only answer to the problems that we have. We actually have to, once that once we get that money, we have to put ourselves in a position of actual power where else those type the things that's happening to Kanye West can't happen to us. Because billionaire Kanye West is still is not in a position of power where one would think he should be with the billionaire status because he's not controlling anything that is actually happening to him. So we have to not only figure out a way to get in the system, well, penetrate the system in a way and get into a position of power, and we also got to get into a mind space where we're willing to play the game. A lot of us, we do not want to play the game. We have to be willing to play the game and be just as cutthroat as they are. And a lot of times we let our passion lead us. And when we do that, we are not acting logically in situations. We're acting emotionally based on things that have things to do with business where the, the our emotional feelings don't have a place in that. So in a sense, a lot of the feelings that we have towards things, we're going to have to let that go in order for us to be in a place of power because as soon as something happens, we can't start ranting and protesting and doing things like Kanye West did because then we put ourselves put in a position where we look like we could yeah, be puppeteered because we react based off of sensationalism. No, so we have to do a better job with that. No, and I love the thoughts, love the thoughts of a transition and give Emil the last thought. And what I'll highlight, I find a lot of validity in what DA is saying. Here's what I would highlight. I think you've heard me say this before, Emil, is to really understand, and again, you know, she's just saying we in general, and, and I know enough about the DA's to know she's not broad brushing, but just for the sake of clarity and context within this conversation, one thing that we do historically miss is understanding that it is small groups of people who actually get into the power to wield the, the power that, you know, that we're talking about. And sometimes I think we get lost on that and we think there's this, in my opinion, imaginary way that, I, that the construct of us as a race can come together to move the needle that way versus doing what I would say some of the things that that the Asia is suggesting and realizing that you do that in small number with those who think alike and you move into those positions. But unfortunately what will happen, and we talked about it on this show, is one wrong move or somebody else accusing of one wrong move, we're not – we're quick to kind of ostracize them as well as other groups won't do that. So I'm just talking about that small tribe that moves into position, and I don't think we quite understand it from that standpoint. we got a couple of minutes to close this thing out, brother, but give me a two-minute closing thought, and we out of here. Appreciate you, King. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to um, Frederick Douglass um, because 
the vision of America that he had was one that was an earnest vision. It was a vision of America that could come together after the Civil War, that during Reconstruction, there was the potential that what the words in the Constitution said were meaningful to black people in America, and that the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments and the Civil Rights Act of 1866 had meaning for how black people could integrate and become fully-fledged citizens of the nation. Fast forward 150 years, and that's not so. That vision of America no longer exists. The America that was what had that potential then is not the same America today. And as much as we would love for that to be, one of the problems black people in America writ large have to face is that we believe in America that may not exist anymore, that the potential for that nation may not exist anymore. And we have to start being more deliberate about what that means to us. What vision of America do we want to subscribe to and how we can bring that vision about it to your point. Black people in America are not monolithic, not simply because we have immigrants from the continent or, or from the diaspora that come here, but as